and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? I'm very excited. Oh, okay. Well, why, why is that? It's getting to be that time. Next week, we're doing our top 10. That's right. Um, of 2014, uh, which is ever so much fun. I, I, uh, end of the year, like I've managed to make the end of the year almost half the year for me. Yeah. Like it pretty much goes from the beginning of October until the end of February at this point. But episode wise, you said it's getting to that point. To me, we're there. Because of this episode. Because of this episode. The next four weeks are charted out, and it is everybody, including mine, everybody's favorite time of the year for BP as far as episodes go. Uh, Yeah, as far as downloads and website hits go as well. well, This is everyone's favorite time of the year. Uh, You don't need to show people that much behind the curtain. (laughs) We don't officially care about that kind of thing. We don't care about popularity or anything. Oh, okay. We just, you know. You know what we do care about? What's that? Our sponsors. That's true. You, you, it's on your phone. You do oh, it. Oh, okay. Um, I should have had a drink of water. This episode is sponsored by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $4.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. There are a lot of great movies available right now, among them Sergei Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin. I feel like the what namesake. choice do you have? If you yeah, if you use our offer code, you gotta watch the Potemkin. Yeah. You gotta know what you gotta, you know, either know the reference or refresh yourself on what the reference is. Yeah, I'd say that second one, because you can know the reference without actually seeing the film. So, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah. And I and I seem to recall you and I that's right. For, for this was a few a couple years ago at this point, but we we took questions from the audience, so to speak. Oh, uh, and somebody asked, "What one movie do you guys consider to be the the most important in the history of film?" And you and I independently both said Potemkin uh, because it revolutionized film editing in a way that we that it was previously right. unseen, and but that movies even to this day still. Uh, utilize right editing and, is what makes movies movies what makes them different than other art forms yes ed- editing and a moving camera um okay yeah so but yeah and so i feel like we both think it's one of the most important films ever so you should the, watch it if you haven't already the good folks at movie agree with us absolutely and there's also a special offer for listeners of battleship pretension you can try movie free for a month just go to movie.com that's m-u-b-i.com slash battleship to redeem now all right so we have uh we, we have we have topics to get to i'm trying to hand you back my phone which is uh, i'm just so discombobulated with all the end of the year greatness that we have to get to yeah here um but first i want to ask you a question all right and here's i uh, let me uh let me uh lay the groundwork here let me set the table here okay all right i don't know why you're shaking your head i i because you're gonna love this idea okay I don't know how, I don't know what sort of governing body, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Governing body? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So you know how I like hockey? No. Yes. Okay. This is going to get back to movies in a second. even worse than I thought. It's going to get back to movies in a second. But right now, the NHL is organizing a thing called the World Cup of Hockey, Mm. which is bullshit to me. Okay. It's this gimmicky thing that they're doing. I think 
as a peace offering because they don't want to let their players go to the Olympics uh, oh, okay, in 2018. Because yeah. um, they can, if they're sponsors of the World Cup of Hockey, they can make money off it. They don't make any money when the league shuts down for two weeks for the Olympics. Right, yes. We talked about that in the past, and it and sounded it's silly to me. It's infuriating to me. Um, I love the NHL. Olympics are more important. That's not the point. The point is this World Cup of Hockey gimmicky bullshit that I you couldn't pay me to watch. You could probably pay me a little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Somebody paid you to review it. You'd yeah, yeah. jump at the chance. Um, but this World Cup of Hockey has me thinking. This World Cup of Hockey mixed with you know end-of-the-year award show greatness. What if there was a World Cup of film? What if – you know how all these, all these countries submit they, for the Academy Awards right. one film? Right. Okay. To go up against every American film theoretically that gets released. Yeah, yeah. It's unfair. We should have a, an award show, or some sort of again governing body yeah. that hands out awards. All this, you know, not just best, best picture, but all the same awards. But every country in the world only gets to submit one movie. Or maybe maybe one every movie. maybe every country gets to submit three movies. Whatever it has to be equal. Or it could be, you know, I mean, you know, the the Olympics, uh, there's, ne- there's not just a single competition. There are a bunch of them. So I feel like countries could submit for best comedy. Okay. Uh, okay. And, you know, best action film or whatever. Um, I like the idea of it. I think it's pretty neat. I think if you look at it that way, I think, frankly, the... And the U.S. would make would win far less than it does. As it is, we've got a pretty solid track record. <laughs> right, best picture, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of like the U.S. Key, we keep winning the World Series, son yeah. of a bitch. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, I like the idea of it. I think it's pretty neat. How often do you think? And it's hard to say because, of course, we uh, by and large, uh, even even like big film people uh are usually only aware a uh, big Amer- pardon me a big american film people are usually only aware of six to seven foreign films a year um, <laughs> it's more than that but yeah um uh but still it would be an equal representation yeah so it wouldn't matter that you, we've seen more american films we just would have to right. if we're part of the voting body or whatever yeah we just have to see the ones they submit so let me ask you this david this okay. is, here's a, a it's a fun game what we're talking about here uh in the most recent uh movie journal i talked about rewatching zodiac and that uh-huh. 2007 was a, a banner year in general but that there were three masterpieces made u.s can only submit one which of those three would you submit well i see this is the thing is we need to figure out how this sort of thing gets gets voted on does the government get involved Oh, good God, I hope not. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's like... Um, What's the equivalent of Seabiscuit? It would be that every year. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, it would be like the time in 2001, was it 2001, when Itumama Tambien did not get submitted. Right, it was, it the, was crime the, of, the crime of Father Amaro. Yeah. Uh, El Crimen del Padre Amaro. That's the one. Um, well done. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that... So, on the one hand, that would... That might suck, but also maybe that maybe maybe Seabiscuit has the whatever this year's equivalent of Seabiscuit is the yeah. judge. I don't know. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have to judge. Yeah. No one like that. Um, 
I'm trying to think what the like the crappy heartwarming movie. That's the thing. The crappy heartwarming movie this year turned out to be really good. It's Selma. Oh, okay, sure. Um, you, well, you could also say it's you know, but it's in the, the, the theory of everything or something like that. Is is well, it's the theory of everything in American film. That's the oh, that's question. true. Yeah, yeah. And is Selma too American specific for voting bodies in in Europe or Scandinavia or whatever? You know, where they don't have. Uh, the same history with yeah. black Americans or black, you know, Scandinavians or whatever that we have here. Are we incorporating so the, documentaries into this? Like, or would that be a separate thing? I, it's in the, this is the other thing that I like your idea of these different categories. Yeah. That the movies, maybe, maybe everyone gets three. Yeah. The three you submit for best picture won't necessarily be the three you submit for best actor. Sure. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you'd have a team. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it's not like the Olympics. It's like, not like I go, like, um, my specialty is downhill with the slalom or whatever, okay. but I'm here on the Olympic team, so I got to do the luge and ice skating. Yeah, I yeah. got to play, like, <laughs> you know, I got to play defenseman for the hockey team. Yeah. It's not like that's not how the Olympics work. So it would be like a team of films, but things are only there for their specialty, and some might overlap. Some might yeah. be there for more, more than one. And so one. there'd be, would there be a, a gold, silver, and bronze so that, you know, there's a top a top three. Okay, so we're saying, I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I described this as a World Cup, but it sounds like we're already making it more like an Olympics. I think so. Right I think that's bat. what works best. Um, but it would have to be every year, right? The Olympics are every four years. We can't do it, like, here are the best films of the past four years. Can you imagine? <laughs> How good would a movie have to be? Like... Four years. There's no. There's no flashes in the pan. There's no beautiful mind here. Uh-huh, you know uh-huh. what I mean, right? Well, you, if you do it every four years, like I feel like it really, like it really cranks up the pressure for every country to make sure they've got the one that they think is going to win. Okay. Four years. It's all done. All right. How do how do we organize this? We have to make this happen now. I don't know. I mean, we've got the BPs. <laughs> we've already got the BPs in our top tens. How can we ma- how can we get the entire world involved? We need a logo first. Okay, basically it'll be the Olympic logo, but they're all film reels. That thing writes itself. Okay, so uh, okay, I'm already thinking we should like delete this part of the podcast why? so that we can like actually work on doing something like this in 2016 when the next Olympics are. I could... Oh, I, but should we... See, this is the thing. I, I think, predict both of us, if we actually tried to do this, going insane. Yeah. Genuinely insane. We, can, but we can't tie it to an Olympics year because there's Olympics every two years. You know? We'd have to tie it to a World Cup year. Okay. Which, which we've still got... Okay, yeah, yeah. We've got, year, like, we've got time to get the world on board. When was the last this. World Cup? 2014? So we've got three years. Boy, are you asking the wrong person. <laughs> um, How, you must have at least been aware that the World Cup was going on, right? I remember people saying it. <laughs> and you know what? Here's... It takes me a moment to remember soccer. That's what that is. Right. Or football everywhere else. Football. Um, yeah, so... In- I, I, everywhere else but in canada it's soccer is right? it okay because okay i'd like to think of, i like to think i know a few things about canada but i don't know this okay um canadians email us yeah but they, there's a canadian football league and that's canadian football like american football okay. except slightly different rules but it's not soccer right okay. so they must call it soccer in canada i guess so canadians please let me know yeah yeah it's uh, you know what else i like about canada what's that that i just uh we we don't have a cool name for a knit cap. I mean, I guess we have a beanie. 
Yeah, but that doesn't sound fun. Right. It's called a toque in Canada. I don't like that either. No, that's awesome. A toque. Yeah. Well, first off, toque is the last name of a foolhardy character in Lord of the Rings. Fool of a toque. <laughs> yeah. So you can't do that. Uh, no, we did. They already did. That's the, it's spelled differently, but that's... No, I'm saying you can't do that. All right. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, that's what I'm calling it from now on. You're call- Okay. We're calling in my knit cap. So you're choosing to embrace Canadian culture of all of them. Like that's in this case because I like that word a lot. What about in uh, the UK? I bet they've got a different word for it there, and I bet it's delightful. Yeah, I don't need to know about that. Oh, I okay. already have toque. If the if the if they have a great thing, like well, okay, in the UK sometimes they'll refer to their breakfast as brekkie. I like that. I'll do that. Okay, you know, or refer to a big lunch as a plowman's lunch. A plowman's. I think a plowman's might have very specific... Okay, UK people. What is a plowman's lunch? Is it Does it just mean a big lunch, or are there very specific elements that have to be in a plowman's lunch? Okay, so Canadians have to answer me about soccer. Yeah. And the UK has to answer about plowman's lunches. And the rest of the world needs to answer us about this... Uh, world Cup thing. This World Movie Cup thing. Yes, if you live... Uh, we don't hear enough from our... Uh, uh, we don't hear as much from our international listeners as we used to. I don't know. Maybe we've lost some of them. I feel like we used to get emails from all over the world. Um, Perhaps as my conservatism went up, uh, our international <laughs> listenership went down. That might be the case. Um, okay, that's what I want to hear. If you're from, If you're from... Uh, Canada, I want to hear about um, soccer and toques. Okay. If you're in the UK, I want to hear about plowman's lunches and brekkie. Uh, if you're from anywhere else outside of the US, what film from your country from the last four years would you submit? Ooh, that's fun. Do you want them to don't, comment or email? Yes, comment. Okay. This is what we say every week. Yeah. Is that the emails are great if you got something personal you don't want people to see. This sure. sort of thing, comment on the website. Yeah. It's fun that way. Everyone gets to see it to participate that's so fun. yeah everyone comment on those things that's it um i could see us starting uh, accidentally starting an international incident here i don't uh, know how i can only hope so yeah um but mostly because of your dis <laughs> your dismissal of the word toque i think Probably. we're gonna this is yes. what's gonna finally set off the Can- <laughs> the canadians right D- what okay all right yes Sorry, I was going to make fun of Canadians, but then I realized I, I oh. think I kind of like them. Yeah, they're a ticking time bomb up there, too. They kind of are. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw Canadian Bacon. At this point, maybe the only Michael Moore film I like. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Sicko's not bad. You know what I want to tell you about is uh, tweakedaudio.com. Mm-hmm. It's where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. And uh, they're at a low, low price to begin with. They mm-hmm. sound great. They look great. They're well-made, but cheap to buy. Okay. I always, I, I, I always seem to stumble over that when I call them cheap. Yeah, it's yeah. actually kind of an insult. You won't be spending a lot of money right. on them. You'll be spending even less money if you listen closely, put your ear right up to your uh, radio speaker, Yeah. Uh, and go to tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. <coughs> That's where you go to get everything I just talked about. And one third off, and no shipping charges. It's tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. Okay. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Uh, this is uh, something that um, we started doing two years ago. This is our third. Yeah. Um, and it was your idea, and I love it. Okay. Um, it's, it's, a, it's our Through the Cracks episode, because next week we'll talk about... It's going to be a long episode next week. i got to get here early. 
Yeah. Because we got to do our movie journal as well. Do we? Uh, I could see a skip. Maybe we skip a week. Uh, uh, We'll see. Okay. Um, We'll see how early I can get here. Um, Next week, we'll be talking about our top ten. We'll be talking about our five honorable mentions. We'll be talking about what we think is personally the most underrated and the most overrated film of the year. And we'll be talking about our worst film of the year. These episodes tend to tend to flirt with the three hour mark. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, uh, but even in all that, there are movies that get left out. Movies that spoke to us that just aren't going to make the list. Yeah. Um, And so we do this episode in the lead up to our top 10 every year. It's called through the cracks. And I, I'm going to start because, because this episode was your idea. I feel like you should have the big finish. All right. right. Sure. Um, so I'm going to start by talking about a film that uh, I would be surprised if anyone listening had seen. No, I would be completely surprised. It's played festivals, but it's only played festivals. It haven't, hasn't gotten any distribution. I've talked about it on the show a little bit before. I saw it at the L.A. Film Fest back in June, and it is Deborah Granick, director of Winter's Bone. Okay. Her first documentary, it's called Stray Dog. Not yeah. Stray Dogs. That's another 2014 film. Mm-hmm. Stray Dog. Um, and it is, the it, it is I guess, a portrait of a man who I think is at first glance and maybe even at multiple glances very much unlike the type of people who are likely to see this film at film festivals. You okay. know? Um, he's... He lives in rural rural Missouri, okay. rural Missouri. Um, he's a Vietnam vet. He's you know conservative and you know small town and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and Deborah Granick's film, I think, is it's on the surface and maybe even for a few levels, it's not a political film because it's a portrait of one person. But I think in the way that it forces people, uh, maybe even like myself at times, you know, I get, I live in a bubble in Southern California and of, you know, people who largely agree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also people who don't vaccinate their kids. So not entirely. There's some fucking crazy people yeah, out here. Man, there's so much <laughs> stuff to keep track of. Like I, yeah. I see that's, that's not Disneyland not, today. I know. Oh, you gotta get the measles. Oh, no. We're all dead. That yeah, the vaccination thing that is not a new thing, but I've been hearing a lot about it recently. But I haven't really been looking into it because right. I've been looking into other things. Right. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, there's so much stuff to keep track this, of. Liberals, this is our tea party. This is our thing. We have to be embarrassed of. We spent years laughing at the right wing fringe. Mm-hmm. It, now we have dumb liberals not vaccinating their there's, kids. There's there's a few conservatives uh, or kind of. Well, it's, sort of the yeah. sort of the libertarians that uh, not all of them, obviously, and very, in fact, very few of them. Uh, but there are there are a few libertarians, like Rand Paul, actually, who is officially a Republican but has very libertarian leanings. I think he right. actually uh, came out against uh, vaccination. But but Was you know that what? Before or after he shushed a news anchor, <laughs> did you see that video? I didn't. He, like you know what? It was pretty condescending. And definitely takes on some uh, some undertones because it was a female anchor and he was via oh, okay. remote and she was trying to he was trying to respond and he said shh calm down <laughs> so um, yeah Rand Paul not having a great week um, that doesn't necessarily the, have to 
that might not be the worst thing. And yes, maybe it's a female. He might have he. I've seen him be very. One could say that's a very casual way of approaching somebody, and he's been that way with male. Uh, yeah, I think shushing someone is pretty rude. The shush is rough. If, yeah. if he just said, "All right, just take it easy for a moment," that's right. a little bit better. But a shush can be a little. That's a little rough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and calm down has connotations, I think, um, th- because there's, you know, the word hysterical has its root in hyster, meaning being hysterical means you're being like a woman. So being told to calm down is often seen as uh, stop being so much like a woman. But then again, sometimes people aren't being calm and maybe need to be told to calm down. <laughs> right. But in this case, being followed by a shush yeah, definitely yeah. paints it in a different light. Um Anyway, uh, how do we get to this? Vaccinations? Oh, yes. You happen to throw that out there. I don't, I don't remember I don't why. Know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I don't recall. Damn <laughs> um, it. Like, oh, uh, you were talking about. I was talking about Stray Dog. Yeah, yeah. But, but well, oh, yeah, but, but about vaccinations. The only people I've ever actually met who were anti vaxxers, mm-hmm. this is going back before that was a term that we used, um, were idiot hippie liberals so that's okay that's what my connotation is yeah um and i mean there's a lot of idiot hippie liberals out here i mean people steaming their vaginas you know about that oh (laughs) that's a new thing what what is that (laughs) it's it has to do with like getting herbs onto or into the vagina via steam gwyneth paltrow is all about it well, that should tell you right there. Wait, okay, yeah. so wait, why do they want? Do you think, I have, why do I, they want a I mix of herbs and it. spices? I, <laughs> like, why did the original? Why recipe. did the colonel get involved? Uh, anyway, what I'm saying is, this is just a thing that's happening, and um, it's, I mean, obviously, it's vagina looking good. <laughs> what? <laughs> that is not a joke I usually make. No, but no, the, what option did I have? Well, well, well placed. Um, okay, so stray dog is what I'm saying is that uh, it points out and makes us realize that people who disagree with us are still human, mm-hmm. and um, we have, a, I think, um, and again, I don't know. The, I, I'm, I guess I'm talking mostly about my experience with it because I don't know that Deborah Granick was making it specifically for liberals, but mm-hmm. seeing it at the LA Film Fest. And being who I am, it took on that connotation to me that we think liberals tend to think of conservatives and small town people as being uh, uncompassionate in a lot of ways. And that's why George Bush even had to come up with the idea of compassionate conservatism because it has the reputation of not being compassionate. Yeah, that always Um, bothered me. (laughs) So because we we apply this to them and to see this person who's politics we very much uh most of us might disagree on you know especially on issues like guns um uh, to see this person have so much heart mm-hmm. and and be so relatable because you know while he's he did he you know he has he owns a trailer park and that's like his job but he dedicates his all pretty much all of his free time and energy to veterans affairs mm-hmm. um i mean he travels across the country to attend uh veteran uh marches he's part of a a harley club i guess yeah that's all veterans that do this sort of thing he even goes to like um he and some of his buddies travel to the house of a woman whose daughter was killed in iraq 
to go, her house needs fixing up. Like her uh, yeah. water heater broken is like leaking through the floor and she needs to have floorboards replaced. And so they go to this woman that don't know anything about just but because her daughter was killed uh in action no. they have a they feel like they have a duty and they go and they fix this woman's house hmm. for her and that that sort of thing but while he's doing all this his other story is that he's remarried to a mexican woman um and is who has two teenage sons of her own who are still in mexico mm-hmm. and so he's working on trying to get these boys um into the u.s to be with their mom no. and that, those are you know it's more of a like I said, it's more of a portrait of a man than having any sort of real story. But the veterans thing and the uh, these two boys are the sort of through line of the movie. It's weird to uh, uh, describe a documentary as a character study, but this sounds like – if ever you could, this sounds like it. Yeah, it's fantastic. It also has a great sense uh, – a very human sense of humor. Um, and uh, there's one part where the two Mexican boys are looking – they don't speak English, so they're looking at a dictionary, like mm-hmm. a Spanish to English – or English to Spanish dictionary or whatever, trying to look up words. And they say, and I'm forgetting the guy's name, the main guy. Um, Stray Dog is his, like, Harley Club nickname. Mm. Uh, so they're saying, look up the word he always uses, pussy. <laughs> and so they look up the word pussy, and they're like, a small cat. And they're like, I don't think that's what he means. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the fact, I mean, I, I tend to have a bad memory for movies, and the fact that I saw this movie over, I saw it eight months ago at this point, and I still yeah. remember so much about it, I think uh, speaks a lot to its power. Do you know if it's. I don't know anything about any its kind of... distribution. I haven't heard a thing. That's I, too it's bad. surprising, Deborah Granick being a name, that she can't get this thing. Because I seem to recall you, you might have been telling me about this, but I seem to recall you mentioned it on the on Well, the we, show. Did a, we did a LA Film Fest wrap up. Oh, that's so, what yeah, it was. I'm yeah, sure yeah. It and it sounded really great to me, and, and I. I would like the opportunity to get to see it. So, okay. Uh, my turn? Yep. All right. I am, I am, will also be talking about a documentary. In fact, a couple of the movies I'll be discussing are documentaries. Um, it's actually not a bad year for documentaries, I think. Not at all. I, I um, had that thought, yeah. So I am going to talk about Mark Levinson's Particle Fever, which is a film that I reviewed for the website. It is currently available, by the way, uh, on Netflix, Watch Instant, so... You can uh, watch it right after you listen to this episode. There you go. Um, so the God Particle, or the Higgs boson, which uh, was discovered recently, in the last couple of years, I believe, okay. um, after decades of, of research, international research, there's all kinds of cooperation and that sort of thing. And it was, uh, what are you smiling about? Nothing. You're sm- you got a big dumb grin on your face. What are you laughing about? <laughs> no, I don't want to go back to it. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, and so it's so it's a documentary, and I think I think uh, what with my love of Citizen Four and and even stuff like Life itself, I think I'm I really respond to documentaries that are allowed access mm-hmm. uh, to what's happening in the moment. Uh, I think I've lost a certain degree of patience with the talking head documentary, people talking about something that has already happened, and we don't see much of that moment. And it doesn't have to be that, but when I think of some of my favorite documentaries, they tend to be very in the moment. The right. drama's happening right there. It could be capturing the Freedmans, it could be salesmen. And you still haven't watched The Dreams. Overnighters, right? I still haven't watched The Overnighters. I watched that. Um, so it could be, I, those are the ones, I mean, even I love Fog of War, which is one talking head, but it's a very notable one. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a little bit better. But anyway, yeah. Uh, 
So it's just about the their process of discovery right as it's about to happen and you just see the the there's the scientists that are working on the theory, there's the scientists that are working on implementation and the two they're not necessarily combative towards each other but and they understand how important the other person is but they tend to have kind of a contentious uh, relationship at times and but they also recognize that we are all important in this in this process but there is you know uh wisely i think they do latch on to a few key characters for lack of a better term and talk about how long they've been working on this, but also what drove them to do this in the first place. And it's just so interesting because what was the, you've talked about it a lot and I keep forgetting the name of it because I get it mixed up with, uh, the other one that has a similar name, uh, not is not encounters at the end of the world. Oh, the expedition to the end of the world. That's the one, uh, both of which are on Netflix. Oh, okay. All right. And so, and that one was, there were artists and scientists and they were kind of making fun of each other and that sort of thing. This is a film that wisely, it will show scenes of particles. It'll show footage of, you know, particles crashing into each other and it looks beautiful. And then it will cut to a stained glass window. And throughout it all, there, there's classical music playing and all that. And it sort of toys with the idea that the instinct to create art is very similar to the instinct to uh, to research things because to discover. to discover. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And so, um, that's what I'm here for. I appreciate it. And so, uh, and it kind of toys with the idea that, in fact, I think there is a character who says that a lot of research and a lot of, especially these days, a lot of scientific discoveries are sort of. They they could serve a practical purpose, but a lot of it won't. It's really just so that we have that knowledge. And yes, knowledge can, you know, knowing something is never a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's sort of a guy talks about how this really is not that essential to know this, except we want to know it. And, you know... And there's really nothing essential about creating art, except we we need to create it. And so it just sort of explores uh, the way people – So it could be obsession. You could also call it passion. But you could also call it the, the way people – the things that people require of themselves that are unnecessary but that people need to sort of keep themselves sane in this life. Um, one guy tells this story um, about how – he was raised in a religious home and his mother uh, was reading a story from the Bible and he cried at the idea of heaven because the idea of forever was frightening to him. Mm. And so he became a scientist because in a way, even like discovery, even though discovery to figure out if there was a heaven or not. Well, it's I'm not I don't quite it's been so long since I've seen the film. I don't remember exactly where he ended up. I my guess is he's he's probably an atheist, but it seems to come from this desire to contain things and to understand them because forever is frightening because it really dwarfs you. But if everything is finite, then conceive then even though it's basically impossible, then it's like if everything is finite, there's a limitation and I could actually get there if I wanted to or if I had the ability. 
And if I can't, then humanity can. We can get there. We can know everything there is to know. But if there is, in fact, forever, if there is eternity, if there is a spiritual life, we act, then there are things we can't know. And that is terrifying to this man. And that is, that is what leads him into the world of science. And everybody has a different story. And in the same way, you could talk about, and the film, without really going into a lot of detail about it, but heavily suggests that art is the same way. Any passion uh, is is that somebody embracing something that isn't necessary, but it may, but it's it makes their life more manageable. There's a line I, I think in adaptation, which is a movie I know you don't love, but it's a nice line when it talks about. It says passion condenses life into a more manageable size, and particle fever is all about that. And mm. so it's a really invigorating, fun documentary that could have been dry as a bone, you know. Uh, but I really loved it, and I highly recommend people watch it. I think I think you guys would like it. I'm going to move on to a film that is um, not uh, happy and fun. Okay. Um, but also deals with issues of, I guess, God. Oh, all right. Uh, which is Calvary. Oh, good. Um, but I actually don't think... I think that Calvary... Cal- Here's what I'm going to say about this movie. Is that it has flaws... Um, there are things about the dialogue that rub me the wrong way and that I feel like they're, uh, reaching a bit too, uh, far for cleverness mm-hmm. at times, but I'm also on so much the same page with, uh, John Michael McDonough. Is that the, the, uh, I, I think so. I get confused. The other guy's Martin. His brother is Martin McDonough, right? Yes. Okay. John McEnroe, I'm on the same page with so much of where he's coming from and the things that he wants to explore that I can't help but love this movie even while totally recognizing um, its flaws. That it's, it's just a little too precious at times and a little too particular. Um, but I don't think, you know, I say it's about God because it's about um, uh, a priest and he takes his cues and his philosophy from the Bible. But uh, I don't think the film is actually wrestling with the idea of God mm-hmm. more as a subset of that, the idea of what it really means to live by your beliefs and specifically Christian beliefs, or I guess super specifically Catholic beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, because the thing that has resonated with me in this movie um, is... Uh, that some of the things that we associate with Christian beliefs are seen, they seem easy. The idea of turning the other cheek sounds like not doing anything. Yeah. Being pacifist, forgiving, as we talked about on the show before. Mm-hmm. Sounds like, it sounds like the easy way, but what yeah. Calvary wants to explore is how that's actually really, really hard. Yeah. And it, to to truly be forgiving and to 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 truly be pacifist in the face of things that are tempting you very strongly to go the other way is an incredibly difficult thing to do um and possibly all the more worthwhile for it um or possibly not i guess depending on your read of the movie but i felt like it is um and uh so i just wanted to highlight this movie because it uh spoke so much to me on that on that level 
Um, and it also was sort of dreary and droll mm-hmm. in a way that I think, uh, I mean, I've look, I've never been to Ireland, mm-hmm. but I am Irish Catholic. That's how I was raised. And so there are certain things that I feel like are reaching back to me through the generations about yeah. this movie in terms of, cause it explores in some ways, some, a lot of the same. And I wrote about this in my review of Selma. I talked about Calvary a lot because it explores some of those same issues about the idea of pacifism mm-hmm. being a difficult choice. Yeah. Um, and not the easy way. Uh, and while I think Selma, Selma is a much better movie overall, Calvary was speaking to me about this in my language in a way, because mm-hmm. it's a, it's a dark comedy with a lot of gallows humor, which is kind of how I tend to carry myself, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, but that, I, I mean, I feel like, the natural way. I know you started watching the Blu-ray of it. Is that right? Or uh, yeah, the DVD? Unfortunately. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I see the Blu-ray. It was in a hotel, and they only had a Blu-ray, oh, okay. uh, a DVD player, and you didn't get to finish it, right? Um, so, but you probably know what I'm talking about. When the, I think the average person's initial reaction to this movie would be like, "Well, that's depressing," and that was my reaction too. It's a very, it's a very dark movie. Um, but the more I think about what it actually means, the more I, I find it incredibly inspiring. You know, it's odd that it, it's odd that you say that because, uh, yes, I didn't finish the film, but I got it probably about 40, 45 minutes in. Um, and of course I don't know how it, I don't know how it ends. Mm -hmm. Um, there is a, It's it's got one of two ways pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and so uh but frankly even even if it even if it goes the darker of those two ways even that doesn't have to be a dark ending it could still be this other thing but anyway um, but that's the idea that i'm talking about that it's not that uh now i i always hate when people say um it's the destination not the journey mm-hmm. um because it in literal terms i never follow like i like to walk or ride my bike or whatever as fast as I can. I want to get where I'm going. You mean people that's say it's being, the journey, not the destination. That's what I meant to okay, say. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I always get it backwards. Um, but the point that Calvary is making mm-hmm. is that even if all the choices you make in your life lead to an earlier grisly end or lead to something horrible happening to you, if yeah. the choices were, were, uh, born of a, of, good intentions or mm-hmm. um a philosophy of compassion and forgiveness yeah. then it's worth it it doesn't mean your life was wasted um which is the exact opposite of anton shigur shigur's question if you followed one rule and it led you to this point and he's saying it to a man he's about to kill uh-huh. uh, what good was the rule he's focusing entirely on the end right and not the journey at all right and yeah so i guess calvary is it's like an answer song to <laughs> yeah. no country for old men yeah, it's and yeah and, but yeah, I did not find the tone to be depressing at all. I found it humorous. I found it, for lack of a better term, peaceful. Okay, do you yeah. know what I mean by that? Well, I think a lot of that is in Brendan Gleeson's performance. Well, that's true, and that it's kind of uh, he's kind of, he can be kind of wry, yeah, in a way like he doesn't seem to get too worked up about things, yeah. Except he he will eventually. Yeah, you remember he will, he does get worked up eventually. Um, I don't doubt that, but I don't know. I, I mean. 
the first line of the movie is kind of a kick in the in the gut. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I could say it's too peaceful. It's pretty, still pretty dark. I yeah. Think. Anyway, uh, uh, yeah, fantastic movie. Didn't okay. quite make the top top fifteen though. Okay. Uh, you've got a movie about God. I've got a movie about God. It's okay. called Believe Me. It's directed by Will. Last name B A K K E. Bake back backy. Hard to say. Baki. Baki, maybe. Right. I don't know. But well, uh, if, if I take my cues from the pronunciation of Bukaki, oh. then it's Baki. Right? What kind of episode are we doing? <laughs> um, Steve Vaginas and Bukaki. That is the name of this episode. <laughs> oh boy. And doesn't that sound doesn't that sound like a This American Life episode? <laughs> um so Believe Me is the only Christian film I've ever liked. Um, <laughs> and uh, now even that sounds very much like Damning with Faint Praise. Uh, it's not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a real film. Christian films tend not to be real films. They are, they are for lack of a better term, propaganda. It's a message that they don't want to put in po- a sermon. Polemic? Is that how you say that? Oh, oh sure. Polemic. Polemic is what I've heard, yeah. Yeah? Um, I tend to read more than I watch the kind of things where people would say that <laughs> word. <laughs> and so it's it's a film that is uh, – and so Christian film, I mean, I've talked about it at length. And so it's all about the message. And so whatever – so content is constantly – content content, and then I, I feel – I'm being very generous when I use the word style uh, – is constantly sacrificed to the message. Over and over again, it's horrible, which is why if there if a Christian movie is released in a given year, it is probably going to be in my either my least favorite or, you know, in my bottom three, there are two of them um, hmm. separated by that damn Orson Welles documentary. But so um, <laughs> so uh, so believe me, when I first saw anything about it, I thought, OK, you've got my attention because in the film was Christopher McDonald. First off, it was a comedy. And I was like, all right, I've seen Christian comedy before. It's horrendous. Uh-huh. But it's got Christopher McDonald. He's not bad. In at he's, he's, a, he's a very gifted comedic actor. Now, if anybody can do good with so-so material, it's him. Then I saw that Nick Offerman was in it, though I could, even, I could tell pretty early on that he was not in it very much. Uh, maybe one or two scenes. And it, I turned out to be right on that. Um, and I thought, okay, the fact that they got him at all, because my guess is uh, they could not afford very much, and he could probably demand a pretty good price at this point, but maybe he saw something in the script that he liked. And he and so I thought, okay, it's attracting good people. It seems to have a good premise, which is uh, almost an Elmer Gantry type uh, somebody pretending to be a Christian in order to uh, get money from people, and then of course, the more they spend, the more time they spend in this community, the more they start to see it as a legitimate philosophy. But there are no big conversions. Spoilers: there are no big conversion scenes mm-hmm. uh, or anything like that. Uh, the hum- most of the humor is pretty funny. Some of it's kind of broad. Some of it's kind of specific. The more familiar you are, familiar you are with Christian culture, the funnier you will find it. Uh, some of it is kind of a light poke to the ribs. Some of it is genuinely uh, satirical and uh, indicting. And 
and at at its core, it it ha- it asks a question, which is, or, or it, it it has a philosophy that I agree with, which is because so many people say it doesn't matter what you have faith in, it doesn't matter what you believe. If it brings you comfort, that's all that matters. And there's a film that says it absolutely matters what you believe. What are you talking about? <laughs> like, and of course, this film says that you know if that believing a Christian thing is better than believing other things. But either way, I think that's a, that's a message that most people can believe. Uh, not the Christian thing, but that idea of, yeah, but there are certain, there are nuances that will affect how you treat other people. And then what, what you'll often find is people say, look, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're not hurting anybody, as long as you're, you know, being selfless. And it's like, okay, so that's what you're saying. People should believe. You're saying it doesn't matter what people believe as long as they f- believe this core thing. <laughs> right. So you're saying, okay, so that's that's what you think everyone should believe. It's it's when you get into the idea of philosophical relativism, it's fascinating uh, how many uh, uh, objective truths people believe that they don't actually acknowledge. But anyway, uh, so there's a film that brings up things like that, and it's just a really, it's a really, it's a well written film, very well acted pretty well shot as well on top of everything else. And it's a comedy with actual laughs. It achieves success at being an actual effective film, which I didn't think I was ever going to say about Christian film ever. And so, well uh, done. So well it's done, a, believe me. Yeah. I'm, I, I seek it out. Uh, I don't know if it's available in any kind of streaming thing, but, uh, but you can, I think rent it on iTunes. I would, I would, uh, encourage you to purchase it, uh, because, Though I don't like the idea, so often in Christian in Christian circles, they say like we got to give money and support this uh, this film because we need to send a message that this is the movie we want to see. I don't like that attitude, but in this case, this is a movie like we need to send a message that this is the kind of Christian <laughs> film that needs to be made. So if you're a Christian and you like movies, which I would have to assume if you like movies, if you're listening to this show, you like movies, uh, go and buy. Believe me. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. I've talked too much. I'm sorry, David. Your turn. It's quite all right. Um, that was uh, very interesting, Enli- enlightening. Um, I will move on to a. Um, I want to say it's a German film um, called Beloved Sisters, mm-hmm. uh, directed by Dominic Graf, and it is um, the kind of movie that um, sounds like it's going to be as uh, dull as dishwater. Um, because it is a sort of biopic or it dramatizes the, um, the, uh, the relationship of, um, the writer Friedrich Schiller. I don't know German writers, but, um, he's a real guy. Um, and, uh, (laughs) what you know for sure is he's a (laughs) real guy. And he was married to a real woman who had a real sister. And it's basically about the three of them and their, relationship over the course of many years it's so it's a costume drama period piece that is don't let imdb fool you which has the shorter runtime it is two hours and 50 minutes long it is a long movie um all that said it is as lively as anything else you're going to see in the theaters this year um it's uh full of uh I, i mean i think a lot of what hap- what happens that people who don't like costume dramas or period pieces, what they're reacting to is a lot of times when everything is so particular 
and the performers are trying so hard to replicate the mannerisms of a certain time, Mm -hmm. all the air gets sucked out. But this is beloved sisters is, is an organic visceral tangible film where you Mm -hmm. can see these people being people first and foremost, and you can actually feel their proximity to one another and, uh, the, you know, the, the unsaid things and the feelings and the tensions that are hanging in the air, everything is, is there. It's as if you're really there. And part of it is the great performances, um, including the sister of Schiller's wife is played by, I'm going to come out and say it. One of my new cinema crushes. Okay. Her name is, uh, Hannah Hertzsprung and she's amazing. Um, but uh, not only are the performances great, but the style, the presentation of the film is mm-hmm. great, too. I mean, the production design is spot on. The costumes that are, are, are fantastic. But the movie is also full of unexpected, like, whip pans and zooms in a way that you don't normally see in, uh, in, the, in, in, in a movie like this. And when there are subtitles, or when there are not subtitles, because it's a German film. There's plenty of subtitles. They're mm-hmm. fine. When there are, like, um, what do you call... When it says, like, I don't know, Bismarck, 1783, or whatever. It's I don't a, know. There's a word for it, and I can't well, think of what it is. I mean, I guess it's a Chiron, but it's also a dater in my line of work. I don't like to go into oh, what okay. I do. Uh, in my line of work, it's called a dater, but I feel like that's industry, or, like, that's shop yeah. talk. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, um. but even the Chirons or whatever aren't just, like, Static. They're like different colors, and they move across the screen. So when it says Bismarck 1783, it's not just saying it's almost it's it's sort of like floating across the screen in like bright green or whatever. Anyways, he makes all these choices that are very uh, that bring you into the 20th century mm-hmm. or the tw- sorry the 21st century. That's where we currently live. Yeah, uh, I'm a, I'm an old out of touch man. That's my greatest fear. Um, uh, and yeah, it's you. I swear. I mean, I. And I'm the first guy to complain about movies being too long. This, I mean, it helped that I was at the, uh, the, the ocean screening room in Santa Monica, which I think you were just at, right? Mm-hmm. For Kamiko. Is that what you saw there? Yeah. Um, I de- love that screen. Delightful room. screening room. Yeah. So it, it helped my first time going there. Yeah. It helped that I was there in comfortable seats, but still the two hours and 50 minutes, I'm not going to say it flew by, but I wasn't like wondering like at no point in the movie was i like oh, how much is there left <laughs> well i mean it's a co- you know costume drama yeah uh that's almost three hours everything about that just seems like all right let's <laughs> just get through this yeah and uh it's fantastic that sounds great yeah so all beloved right. sisters okay uh next up for me another documentary that i talked about i i saw fairly recently so i know i talked about it on the uh, movie journal so i'll try not to go into a lot of detail about it, and that is the film Whitey, directed by Joe uh, Berlinger, I think, Berlinger, I'm not okay. sure how you say it, yeah. um, and it is about uh, the trial of Whitey Bulger, and this, not unlike Particle Fever, uh, this does a lot of what I like, where it actually mixes, it, it mixes talking heads, people talking about past experiences with Whitey Bulger, but it's all couched in the trial that's happening right now, um, or at least in the, you know, when it was happening. Uh, so, mm-hmm. and what's interesting is some of the talking heads are people that are witnesses at the trial. And so this is still very much a part of their lives. This is not a retrospective or anything like that. Um, and it's not people who are removed from the current event. 
and so there's a sense of urgency to it. You really feel like, and there's the, the, the knowledge that, you know, Whitey Bulger was at the top of the FBI's most wanted list for, uh, for decades. And they got, I remember specifically just being, when I saw the headline that they, that they found him and they got him just thinking like, Oh wow, that doesn't, you know, it, I know it's not as big as when they reveal when it was revealed who uh, Deep Throat was or anything like that, but just like, oh, you just sort of take it for granted mm-hmm. that okay, well, he'll be at the he's probably he might be dead, but if he wants to be gone, he'll be gone, and mm-hmm. he's never going to show up. And they got him, and that's it's weird to hear about that, especially because he's a, he was a fairly high profile uh, gangster, and so um, so you feel like you're watching history being made, but at the same time. Uh, the interviews that we see, this is not history. It's, I mean, it's recent history, but it's not merely that. Like, this man had an impact on people's lives. He killed people. He, you know, robbed people. He extorted money from people. Uh, and not just other gangsters, but regular people. Just a guy who just, the the film starts with a guy who just, tells, telling a story from decades before that he had just started his own business. He had a, uh, a shop. It was either a shop or a bar. I don't totally remember. Um, and he had just started out and then gets a knock on his door and there's Whitey Bulger and a guy who's standing next to him who's even bigger. And he's basically saying the the equivalent of, eh, it's a nice place. It'd be a shame if something happened to it. Uh-huh. And this guy had like, you know, worked and saved to make this money. And then this guy just walks in, threatens violence and just immediately gets some of his money. And it's just like, it starts with that story and it just sound it makes you angry. And so the idea of the first off it, like the very first thing it does, it takes the idea of the romantic gangster, the romantic criminal and throws that out the window. And then it adds all this other stuff. When you realize he might not actually be the monster. He's a horrible person. He mm-hmm. might not be the monster that the government is making him out to be because he was also an FBI informant. And so the government kind of enabled him in a way. Uh, oh. But also when the time came and it was revealed that maybe some government officials were taking bribes from him, then they then it suggested that perhaps the government trumped uh, trumped up some charges that he ne- didn't actually do and paid off uh, and paid off uh, other criminals to testify against him and stuff like that and by the end you have no idea what the truth is and now of course that is kind of a sad thing but it also what i like is that it su- it suggests that you think you know the story and of course the story is still true whitey bulger was a horrible person but there's so much more to it than that. And it really kind of hammers home this idea, kind of the same thing that I thought when I saw uh, A Most Violent Year, which is the idea that criminal enterprise, politics, uh, business, they all kind of have to work together. They all form one system, and there's very seldom... It's like the wire. It's like the wire, like, you know. And there's very seldom one person or one case that exists outside the system. Uh, everything kind of works together, and, and Whitey sort of uh, the, the film Whitey really shines a light on that. And so, and that's available on Netflix as well. You can watch it right now. Okay, um, I want to move on to Iris X film Love Is Strange, <clears throat> which is um, what else is 
That name sounds familiar. He did Keep the Lights On a couple of years ago, which was really good. Okay. Um, anyway, um, it's sort of sort of like how Obvious Child, which, speaking of Obvious Child, last week I said that Obvious Child had been bumped out of my top ten. That wasn't true. I went back and looked, and it was like still safely in my top ten. Spoilers for next week. I know, but, uh, but I was talking about whether or not I should move it in because, oh, okay. you know, didn't have to do it. Fixed itself. Well, yeah, well, I was never wrong. It doesn't mean I didn't rearrange my top 15 a little bit to get it where I where I want to talk about it next week. But uh, Obvious Child was always safe in the top 10, just to be okay. clear. Um, anyway, uh, but like Obvious Child could incorrectly be described and often has been as the abortion comedy, mm-hmm. right? Um, Love is Strange could be the old gay couple comedy or whatever. Yeah. The old, and that, I mean, it's it's not as overtly comedic as Obvious Child, but there are a lot of laughs in it. But I almost think, just like I was talking about earlier, I didn't do this, I didn't set this up like this way on, on purpose, but just like earlier I was talking about um, people who were dismissive of people like the guy in Stray Dog mm. um, could have their eyes opened. I feel like Love is Strange is a movie that, yes, is about um, an old gay couple that gets married late in life yeah. um, and has their life changed because of it. But it's not really an issue film. It, it, you know, um it's not meant to be like to I don't think it's meant to like stoke your ire and be like how could the how could they fire this guy for marrying the love of his life or like you'll feel that right perhaps but only because Iris X is first and foremost interested in making you empathize with these people as people mm. uh and that includes the negative things about them you know the the story is that they've been together for uh, forever um, and they get married, and then Alfred Molina, who teaches music at a Catholic school, mm-hmm. the the I don't know the archdiocese or whatever sees it on his Facebook and is like, we can't have. It. And he's even though like his student, he's always been out. Yeah. But once it's been like official and it's on Facebook and stuff, they they fire him, and so they can no longer afford to pay um, for the apartment they've lived in for decades, mm-hmm. and so now they're two recently married gay men in their early seventies who are both, who are unemployed. I mean, John Lithgow is an artist and makes a little money here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, Alfred Molina's, uh, income was their main source of income. Now they're unemployed and they have to live with friends, which means living apart. They've been married only a little bit hmm. and now suddenly they have to live apart. Alfred Molina is staying with friends. John Lithgow is staying with family. I think his, his nephew and his nephew's wife and kid. I can't, it's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember the exact relationships. Um, and one of the things is that you realize is that John Lithgow's character is, um, not, uh, the best person to live with, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and there's a line that's in the trailer and is one of the, uh, highlight lines of the movie where John Lithgow, who also doesn't get along with the people he's staying with says that when you live with, live with someone, you get to know them better than you care to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think in this idea to, in, in, in the approach of not trying to make a point yeah. about how unjust it is that someone could get, could get fired for marrying the love of their life. Um, it, it, uh, by avoiding that, I think Iris X would be in a much more powerful film that will probably touch more people if they get to see it. Well, that that speaks to it. That's its own way 
that this is kind of its own version of what you and I repeat ad nauseum, which is the idea of specificity being general. Right. That if you try to make something about us all, man, sorry, I can't help but do that. It's right. about each one of us. Then somehow it becomes kind of lowest common denominator and all that. Mm-hmm. But if you make something about a very specific story, we can look at that and we are we as people are smart enough to see where the differences are. But the similarities like, oh, I felt that very specific emotion, maybe not in this situation. Right. And I feel like any movie I mean, this is what I feel about christian film so often or any issue driven film any message driven film if they try to make that i mean you wind up with lions for lambs uh (laughs) but if you wind up you know which was an anti-war film or if you make the hurt locker which is a very specific story about this man's life right right it's infinitely more powerful with the message than a movie that very very directly uh addressing that message will be uh and the last thing i'll say is we talked about this in the movie journal that, uh, and we've talked on the show before that I'm sometimes don't give enough credit to actors. Mm-hmm. A big part of the joy of this movie is just watching John Lithgow and Alfred Molina together. Like these are two incredibly accomplished, uh, actors with just great on screen presence and just the two of them together. It's fantastic. Let me ask you this. John Lithgow is an actor that there's a theatricality to him. Uh, I think when he's great, he can be pretty great. Um, but he's always, there's always been kind of an over the top quality to him. And so I think that fits. That's why he's the artist of the, of the couple. I think it fits the character that he's a little bit like that is, but it's also less of that. Is this film kind of heightened? No, not at all. Okay. So it very much takes place in this reality. And so he's playing, He's playing a, a real character, but also maybe one that's a little eccentric. Yeah. yeah okay. All right. Yeah. That yes. that I buy. Like it, it's weird to see him in something like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, or even something like Interstellar, where he has to play just a regular grounded, down to earth person. He's like, right. what? What? <laughs> that's the guy from Third Rock from the Sun, <laughs> right? Yeah. So I saw Raising Cain. It's the Trinity Killer from Dexter, <laughs> which I never, I never saw. You can watch his season. It's fantastic. That's, you know what? Not unlike, uh, though I I came to like The Shield in general, uh, Forrest Whitaker's appearance and then Glenn Close's appearance. Yeah. I want to say it's I, the other. It might be the other yeah, way around. I think Glenn, Glenn Close is on first. But like knowing that their stuff was coming up was almost enough to get me to just push through, but it wasn't available. And so I, I wound up ending around season two, I think. But in the same way, Dexter, I thought like, all right, that it looks fine, but maybe not that great. Then when I hear about his, right. uh, John Lithgow's performance and his guest appearance, it's like, Oh, that's almost enough to get me to work my way to that season. Yeah. You could just watch season four probably. Okay. All right. Um, the shield is a tough show for me to recommend because I don't stand by the first two seasons, but also the stuff that happens in the first two seasons is necessary for how brilliant the show became yeah. starting about halfway through the third season. Yeah. Um, but Glenn Close was a revelation on that, uh, to me on that show. I think I was of an age. Hmm. I know you uh, are a bit of an older soul than I am. And so you like, I think you got Glenn Close, I think, before I did. But it, maybe it wasn't. And I don't think it was really until I saw on the shield that I actually got to feel. It was sort of like what I was talking about period pieces before. It's like, yeah, Glenn Close. I know. She's great. Like, yeah. It's, you, it was sort of like a, just a thing we all, an axiom <laughs> that we all agreed on. Uh, but her performance 
uh, in the shield is so spot on and singular and physical mm-hmm. um, that it opened my eyes. Now I'm, I'm a huge Glenn Close fan. Yeah, I remember Albert uh, Nobbs notwithstanding. What was that? Albert Nobbs notwithstanding. Well, they can't all be winners, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's odd that you say that. Glenn Close is it in a way, and I feel terrible saying this. I feel like society views her as the poor man's Meryl Streep. <laughs> right. In that they're kind of the same age. They both came up at the same time and they seem to, they don't look that similar. They're, they're both blonde. Um, and just, and one seemed to go one way yeah. and one seemed to, I mean, Meryl Streep has like more Oscar nominations than in, any other actor or actress in history and all that. And then Glenn Close, she was nominated for Albert Nobbs. She, I believe has never won anything but she has been nominated for a few other things and just but she, can you she imagine tends to be kind of an afterthought but yeah. she's so dependable in stuff like the big chill i think she's amazing in reversal of fortune and then even stuff like 101 dalmatians where she shows how game saw. an actress she can be playing corella deville and she's but wonderful in the movie the paper did you ever see that um no i saw the paper chase that's a, <laughs> she's not in that that's the sequel um but now, but the Cruella Deville, Cruella Deville, having recently seen Into the Woods, I could very easily see Meryl Streep doing that. Right. But with the Shield, can you imagine Meryl Streep playing the captain of a rundown police station in a shitty Los Angeles neighborhood? It sounds like it would be fun, and I have no doubt that she could do it. But Glenn Close, like there, having seen her in the paper, where she's the editor who's constantly fighting against her reporters, and but also sort of represents—is she the editor or the owner? I don't remember exactly, but she kind of represents corporate interests on top of everything else. And so uh, I could absolutely – based on the paper, I could absolutely see her uh, doing great in uh, The Shield. All right. Well, um, that's how I felt about Love is Strange. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, okay. Next for me is a Scott Frank film, A Walk Among the Tombstones, a film that did not do well because it looked to everybody, including me, like another Taken film. Um, and I wonder if the film would have gotten more attention if it had been a different lead actor than Liam Neeson, but at the same time, the film might not have been made if it had been somebody other than Liam Neeson. But I also, I like his performance a lot. His performance is great. I think that's the thing is I haven't seen the taken films. I'm sure he's fine. I saw him in the gray and thought he was really great. He can, he is a very dependable, solid actor that because he has gone the way of sort of the action film, I think people take him less seriously, but you see him in something like this, and it's a really great lived-in performance. You, you saw it, right? Yeah, and it, and it all comes down to the performance. or it, Not entirely, but it mostly comes down to the performance to me. I think outside of the character work, I actually don't think the movie's that, that great. Yeah, there's... I don't think the story's that great, um, and I think there are certain things that feel um what's what i'm looking for shop worn oh sure uh his relationship with the kid just seems like too much of a contrivance there's a scene on the rooftop that's clearly supposed to be shocking or something but i i saw it coming from the lobby before the movie started (laughs) um the shocking moment i saw I saw coming, but everything up until that on the actor's great. He's great. I forget. I forget his name. I don't remember. It's, it's, I think like a Swedish name. I I looked him up specifically afterwards and thought this guy is really notable. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I agree with you so much of it. 
a lot of the stuff could be trimmed. Like, while I actually liked the dynamic between Liam Neeson and the kid, I just thought the kid should be removed. Like, I just don't, I didn't, it, the, the, the genuine dynamic and affection that they have towards each other that felt real, uh, was not enough to justify the inclusion of it in the film. But I like the tone. I like the dreariness of it. I like the, just the sadness of it. Um, yeah. And just, it's a film just filled with regret and it just, and it all stems from that character and that performance. And it's, and when I looked it up and I saw that, oh, okay, this is a character who has shown up in a lot of books. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's a guy who's, who used to be a cop, made some bad mistakes, probably because he was drunk and he's a recovering alcoholic and, and they do, and they do play that up, but he doesn't play that up too much. Like, I, I don't remember exactly what, what review I read, but they really made note of he's, he's delivering a very careful performance, which is to say the character is always very careful mm -hmm. to remain as stable as he can all the time, knowing that there's just a lot of edges that he could fall off, even in the, right, especially right. in the midst of a, of a very complicated case. And so well, I'm going to uh, play devil's advocate here because okay. I mostly like the movie, okay. but I feel torn about the level of sadism in the movie. Yeah. Because it's, um, for a movie that on the, you know, on the one hand, what I was just talking about for a movie that feels like in its, in its plot, a little familiar and conventional, it's kind of jarring just how dark it is. That said, when it counts, when it gets to the end, mm -hmm. that gives a lot of weight to what is a pretty, you know, it, what could be a pretty conventional shootout standoff type scene at the end. Yes. So, but I don't know if it was worth it to get to that. Yeah. It almost feels like, ah, shoot. There's a movie that, that, that does this, but in a way, you know, the story is, is it's basic pulp mm -hmm. in many ways. And to incorporate this kind of, these kind of crimes, which sadism is not a, you know, that's not an unusual thing for pulp, but the way that it's portrayed, it feels a little bit exploitative. Um, yeah, I would say that. A little yeah. bit. It, it, it did bother me a little bit in the movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely see what you mean. And it's, again, it's not a perfect film, but it is a film I think that has enough stuff in it, yeah. uh, to, so, to warrant a, a second look or we, even a, or a we first. Talked about Liam Neeson's great as is, what's his name? Olaf Dari Olafsson. Yeah. Um, David Harbour is the bad guy. Yeah. He's really good. But I also want to point out another couple of performances. Dan Stevens, great in The Guest, also yeah. great here. And then... In a somewhat brief role, I guess it gets a little bigger toward the end, uh, the uh, Russian gangster, played yeah. by character actor Sebastian Roche, yeah. is also really great. And I'm yeah. a big uh, – I was a PA on a movie that Sebastian Roche was in, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy, so I hmm. always like to see him in stuff. He was on Fringe as well. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the acting all around. I mean, you know, aside from Liam Neeson, it's kind of a lot of – I don't mean to – be rude when I say this, but kind of a lot of no names. Uh, but they all deliver great performances. And I wonder if, you know, had the film had more, you know, stars in it, I feel like maybe that would have lessened it a little bit. Um, there's something, there's something about an actor that you don't recognize and thus you don't know what to expect from them that mm -hmm. kind of just immediately puts you That's on edge. Point. All right. 
my final film that I want to talk about today. Um, it's a big, uh, big studio release that uh, has its defenders, including um, our uh, our friend Amy Nicholson. Put it on her top ten of the year, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Uh, but mostly just got overlooked, uh, and that's Tate Taylor's Get On Up, which okay. is the James Brown biopic that I don't really care about the biopic part of it in a way yeah like because it's not a conventional or it is i think i'm gonna paraphrase my own review of the movie going back to august when it came out i think um it's like someone took a very conventional biopic and then put all the pieces in a blender and then rearranged them Mm -hmm. um because chronologically it's all over the place um it even so even though it does take the classic old school biopic uh uh approach of telling the story from when he's a kid to all the way when uh he's an old man um in the in the 1980 late 80s early 90s by the end of the movie um it's not told in that order you know it starts with the 80s and then it goes to vietnam and then it goes to the 1930s and then it like it jumps all over the place um and it's not at random but that that disregard for form i guess it's sort of a structuralist choice in the sense that the disregard for form in favor of emotional resonance or emotional continuity is in keeping with the way that james brown made music because he was a genius Mm -hmm. but he also wasn't uh, you you know you hear when he talks to the musicians the people who played for him were incredibly accomplished incredibly talented people when he talks to them about music he's not talking in academic terms at all they often don't know what he's even trying to say he's just saying he's just trying to get like do this he's just feeling it yeah and what comes and and in some cases he can be really strident about uh, his choices, but it comes out just feeling and sounding like pure joy. And I think the movie really taps into that. Hmm. Um, and to go further with this structuralist, uh, uh, approach, the movie feels not only like a James Brown song, but it also feels like James Brown's life as James Brown would want you to know it, mm-hmm. which means I know some, uh, some people had, uh, qualms with the way that some of the more negative aspects of him were not given the harsh spotlight. Um, but you know, he was, uh, there, there was another doc, there was a documentary directed by Alex Gibney that played on HBO, I think this year about James Brown. That was also incredibly insightful. Hmm. And that dealt much more with his, um, spousal abuse and um, right. his tendency to beat up, uh, his his wives there's one shot in the entire movie get on up that uh references that but what i what i find really fascinating about the movie is that after he does it, after he uh knocks his wife down punches her a couple times and knocks her down the shot ends with him looking directly into the camera um hmm. and i guess i could talk all day about what that means but i feel like it's him um it's it's james brown trying to like like 
not sweep it under the rug, but uh, remembering it's almost like he's remembering there's a camera there. Uh, and that's why we don't see it again. Yeah. But to me, the fact that it's in there is enough to hint like this clearly wasn't a one-time thing. That sounds great. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, the movie is so lively and funny. I saw it twice, um, which I, I don't see very many movies twice <laughs> in the same year they come out, <laughs> but yeah. I saw, I saw get on up twice. Um, cause it's just a lot of fun to watch. It's full of great, performances um not only I mean, Chadwick Boseman is great but also uh and now I'm forgetting his name the dude from True Blood who's fantastic oh boy in the movie as Bobby Bird um the only weak spot I'm gonna have to say is Dan Aykroyd um uh, he just uh Nelson Ellis is the guy from True Blood who plays Bobby Bird but Dan Aykroyd plays James Brown's manager, who is someone who was he was very close to in real life, mm-hmm. um, and I think the script gets to that performance. But Dan Aykroyd seems to it seems like he's in another movie. He's uh, he's just uh, he's 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 playing it a little bit not flat because he's very broad, but a little narrow. I guess he's just you don't get to know much about Ben Bart. Yeah, that's. Uh... I, th- I, s- I seem to recall um, when we did a, a movie journal uh, like a month ago, and then most recently on More Than One Lesson when we talked about Driving Miss Daisy, uh, he was the, wing- uh, the weak link, which is th- – I got to stop saying that because I'm terrible at saying it. I'll say wink link. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, – but yeah, he's – it doesn't – there's something about him as an actor – Sometimes he can be great. He's great in Ghostbusters, Blues Brothers, that kind of like he's maybe when it's a straight up comedy he can do it, but mm-hmm. maybe he feels self-conscious about drama. I can't quite figure it out, but yeah, it's I remember liking him in Bright Young Things. The uh which I, I which I never actually saw. Bodies. It's a good movie. But um not as good as a book though. But yeah, it always feels like, you know, narrow surfacey is another like it just you said mm-hmm. I yeah, did, I didn't get to know, a- I didn't get to know him. Like he does not inhabit characters. Right. Um, yeah. He he merely plays them, and I, it feels like a, a it feels like a a set of clothes that don't fit. Oh, good point. So, all right, um, that's get on. Up. That's my five. What's your fifth and final entry? What? Actually, uh, so get on up was a film that like it didn't actually do remarkably well critically. It did okay, not great. But let me ask you this, and and. Chadwick Boseman a little bit was being talked about as a possible best actor nominee. Uh, if the, if the film had been released in November or December, do you think it would be more high? It's profile would be higher. That's a, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, because it doesn't. Yeah. On the surface, it seems, it seems weird to be an August release, mm-hmm. but it's such a fun movie yeah that it doesn't feel like an end of the year thing it might yeah. feel more out of place um alongside biopics like the theory of everything in the imitation game right than it does in the summer but as far as whether it would get uh i i, I think the i think it would be more in the conversation but right. i don't know that he would have gotten any more awards i do but I, maybe the conversation is what i'm talking more about like it could be one of those movies that because it's end of the year and it's a james brown biopic just by virtue of it being released at oscar a biopic released at oscar seasons 
season means that more people are going to feel as though they need to see it. That's a good point. Because the, yeah. there is a conver- now there's a conversation to be had about yeah. it. And at the end of August, it's getting, you know, that's when people are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy and X-Men and Planet yeah. of the Apes and stuff. And it it's not in that conversation. It yeah. belongs, totally I mean, or not, I mean, it belongs it, in the other conversation. Into, I mean, I don't usually get much into this sort of politicking thing, but Universal did push it along with Unbroken. It was yeah. like, Those are the two films that they were really um, focused on awards for. Yeah. Um, if you went to Universal's awards, like for your consideration site, mm-hmm. the three movies on there were Unbroken, yeah, Get On Up, mm-hmm. and A Million Ways to Die in the West. What? <laughs> I know. I, I didn't see the movie, so I don't know what if there was like original songs in it maybe they were trying to get or like costume or something. Maybe. I didn't see it. Uh, oh. <laughs> but those are the three films that they were pushing on there for your consideration. Maybe Golden website. Globes <laughs> for a comedy or something. Maybe. I mean, I d- you know what? I actually did hear that it does a really good job of kind of putting you back in that uh, visually that time period, it. production design, costume and all that. All right. So my last film is uh, it was in my top 10 for a while for it was high in my top 10. And then. But I saw it early in the year, and then I just kept seeing more movies, and it got pushed out. But I believe it it's, remains in my top 20. Uh, and that is Roger Michelle's Le Weekend with Lindsay Duncan and Jim Broadbent as an older couple that are uh, vacationing for their anniversary in Paris, where they spent their honeymoon. I did not realize, I think, that this is a Roger Michelle Michelle film i don't know how you say his name uh make sure you look that up because this is the one i didn't look up because i was fairly sure about it but i'm not a uh, now i'm questioning myself um yeah it's him okay yeah Um, and uh refresh my memory on what he is because i know he did changing lanes which i liked a lot he is all over the place he did did he do enduring love he did Notting hill Notting hill yeah thumbs down changing lanes thumbs sideways but i think you like it more than i do yeah the mother thumbs down Enduring Love, thumbs way up. Yeah. Venus, thumbs up. Thumbs up. Morning Glory, I didn't see. Did you see Morning Glory? Morning Glory. I heard some good things. Oh, yes. McAdams? Yeah. Okay. Oh, thumbs up. Okay. Uh, Hyde Park on Hudson, thumbs three quarters down. Okay. I feel like that's a movie that is not good, but also not as bad as people say it is. Okay. And yeah, The Weeknd. So he's all over the place. Yeah, but he's got some He's got some winners in there. Enduring Love is awesome. And The Weeknd uh, is just... Certainly, it's an actor's showcase all around. It's this couple that, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, I'm I'm coming up on 10 years of marriage. And when you look at almost any time you look at movies that feature older married couples and it's going to address their marriage at all, it, it almost it's like a horror movie somehow <laughs> where you just look at that and think, so either we need to get divorced or kill ourselves because we don't want to be that. And in many ways, it looks like the weekend is going to be that, you know, all, like what you said about uh, the line from uh, Love is Strange. You know, you get to know people more than you care to. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a mat- it's a mature enough film to show that they can have their spats, but that is not what defines their relationship. And they even have, you know, they even have moments during this weekend when they're genuinely questioning whether they should stay together. Even though they weren't quite like their marriage is not bad, but it's more just you you start to wonder, well, are we in this because we have been for a while or do we still want to be in this? And so 
they're going back and forth with each other. Things are being, you know, old things are being brought to light that they haven't either, they, they, either they haven't talked about in years or they never talked about. And to be clear, I'm, you might have said this already, but it's Jim Broadbent and Lindsay Duncan are the couple? Yes. Okay. I'm a huge Lindsay Duncan fan. I, you know what? I, I, I know I've seen her in other things, I, but this year she was in Birdman, and I think, regardless yeah. of what you think of how the character was written, I think she was really good. I would agree. Um, yeah. And then, she, but, and she's fantastic in okay. The Weeknd. Last year she was in a movie that not enough people saw called Last Passenger, which is a cool little oh, okay. train thriller. Oh, nice. Um, she was also in uh, the first episode of Black Mirror. Oh, all right. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, but uh, I will always think of her as being the woman from the reflecting skin. <laughs> uh, may or may not be a vampire. She's not a vampire. And I'll say this. And so she's great in the film. I, the film is definitely about both of them, but uh, there seems to be a bit more of an emphasis on her. But then it'll shift. It'll shift to Jim Broadbent, who's doing... I'm reluctant to say career best work because it's he so seldom plays the lead. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he's mm-hmm. often a supporting player. And so for him to play a real, a, just a, a fully developed character and he really sinks his teeth into it. Both of them do a great job. Here is maybe the MVP of the film. And I'm already taught. I've already spoken about how great their performances are. Jeff Goldblum shows up in a supporting role. And obviously it's not a career best for him because the fly will always be his career best. <laughs> but, um, but it's up there because like a Christopher Walken or, or actors like him who we all, we all know how they are. Um, and they know how they are. And, and to the extent that, you know, Jeff Goldblum will show up on Tim and Eric awesome show. Great job as himself. Right. And, we all laugh. Yeah. For the Jeff Gold Blue Man group. <laughs> yeah, right. Or the, or the uh, weight mate. Did you ever see that? No, which one? I'm sorry, I did. Which one it's, is that? It's where uh, he, it's a thing that you, you drink and it'll put you to sleep. Right. There's a thing that's happening and you can't wait for it. You don't want to wait for it. So you'll just put yourself to sleep until it, ha- uh, yeah. until it happens. Uh, and so <laughs> Uh, now all I want to do is watch that commercial. But anyway. Um, you know what's the best Tim and Eric commercial, though? What's that? With Ray Wise, Business Hugs, where <laughs> Ray Wise is hawking a videotape you can order through the mail that will teach you how to give hugs that are appropriate for the workplace and that will help you move up at your, in, your, in, your, in your office. Uh, <laughs> I guess I got to see. I don't love Tim and Eric, but they, they've got some pretty genius stuff sometimes. And so... Uh, but I like it when an actor that we all know and we all think we get and we know his limitations. Right. Really, first off, I like when they when they subvert our expectations. But what I, what I also like is when an actor or a director capitalize on our expectations. And this is a character who couldn't be more Jeff Goldblum-esque. But it sort of explores what it is to be that type of person mm-hmm. and have people know that. So his character is, uh, he's a very famous, not very famous, but he's a, within his field, he's a famous author and, you know, uh, he has a young girlfriend and all that. And he just, and, but he's kind of full of shit and he knows it. And to hear him talk about it, he does the Jeff Goldblum seems to be suggesting that there's a lot of, there's some hurt underneath and there's the real and, he he realized a long time ago that 
the only thing people will be ever be interested in is my persona. Mm. And so I'm always going to play that. And we don't get to we don't get to see a lot of what's underneath, but there are just hints of it here and there. And you really get a sense of, oh, okay, this is a fully developed character who's often quite funny and again is completely Jeff Goldblum, but there's a lot more to him under the surface that we will never be allowed to see. Mm. And so he does – it's just a really wonderful film that's easy – that's that is very engaging. It's it's awkward sometimes. It's funny sometimes. And by the end of it – and so I talked about how from a marriage standpoint, it's something of a horror story. It could be that if you look at it one way. Or I look at that and I see – I just see my own marriage. I see my wife and I, we argue and sometimes we we don't often get to the point where we – talk about ending the marriage but uh not often not often uh, Once a week. every every couple of days <laughs> uh, not every hour and so uh so we don't get to that point but uh but there are times when you just think like man what if i it's like i'm i'm in this until i die am i okay with that i'm not gonna get out of it but I need to know I need to prepare myself for the rest of my life if this is what it's going to be like. There are moments when that happens and it's rough to think that. But then you always come back around to the idea like this person is choosing to be with me and I'm not an easy person to be with. And that's pretty amazing. Look, so I've only been married. What? Five months. To, it's still all puppies and roses. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, over, <laughs> over my place. They haven't had any. No problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the only no- the only noises coming from your place are just the noises of love. Okay, that's a good place to maybe start <laughs> wrapping this up. So yeah, and you know what? I th- I believe the weekend is also available on Netflix Watch Instant. So three of my movies are available right now. Oh, thank God for Netflix. All right, um, that was fun. This, those were our through the ca- through the cracks. Absolutely. Do you have an? Uh, I know you made changes to your list at the last minute, or you didn't. I didn't. So you I, don't have an honorable, honorable mention. Because I came so close to mentioning uh, Joe Swanberg's Happy Christmas, um, which I liked way more than uh, its reputation would suggest I would. I will go ahead and actually, there is an honor, uh, it'll be my honorable mention. It was sort of my alternate for underrated for next week. Okay. But I will go ahead and have it be this. Uh, the Maze Runner. Oh. It's interesting. At this point. I didn't see it. it now, uh, that's the thing. Uh, it actually got solid Bs, B minuses across the board. Uh, it was not a disliked film by critics uh it was a much you know at this point the young adult adaptation has been done uh you know was there there's divergent there's hunger games uh the giver was sort of that uh but this one i actually really liked it's not perfect and frankly anytime it anytime it incorporates franchise anytime it incorporates uh sort of the the trappings of being part of a larger series that's when it started to lose me but within this world it does such a great job of establishing a sense of place and a sense of danger and and relationships that i it's actually a really good movie and uh for for what it is it's very good it did well enough that there is going to be a sequel i don't actually know i think so i seem to recall it did okay oh yeah okay hold on never mind no that's not right. Oh, okay. Um, I thought I was seeing a sequel, but I think uh, IMDb gives like specific listings to like making of featurettes and stuff. So I think that's all I was seeing. Okay. Um, anyway, I just wondered what the sequel was going to be called if they were going to go the <laughs> the route of Divergent, 
which the second one is not called Insurgent. It's okay. called the Divergent series, colon, Insurgent, <laughs> which is what they did with the Twilight movies, too. Yeah. The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, part one. Yeah. That was That's the entire name of that movie. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it. Um you can find us at com. That's where you can find uh, all the top ten lists of our contributors. Mm-hmm. And soon, in a week's time, our top ten lists as well, which you can hear on the podcast and uh, glance over on the website. Um, you can also find all of our movie reviews and other stuff we write. I'm trying to write more non-movie review stuff uh, lately just to... Yeah, there's a not, there's a lot being more... Being a writer, which uh, it should be by now. There are a lot not. more features on the website now. Yeah, we're trying to do that more. There's the, the Monday movie... Yeah. Or Movie Monday. I don't quite no, remember. it's Mo- Monday Movie. Monday Movie. And then there's which Sequel is Saturday. To, which, that's Matt's column. Yeah. Monday Movie was supposed to be a thing that anyone could contribute to. It's become my column. Yeah. Um, but if anyone else who contributes to the site regularly is listening and wants to do a Monday Movie, have at it. Um, what else do we have? Well, I've got some coming up. I wanted to wait until the, after this end of the year section to, to yeah. kick off new uh, monthly features, but okay. I have uh, at least one, maybe more, um, around, that are around the corner. And then what is the TV one called again? Because that's relatively new as well. The TV well, Club? The TV Room the is TV what room. I'm calling it because we're a movie website. And so yeah. if something's about TV, I want it all to be sort of under one umbrella. Yeah, yeah. So I wrote a sort of think piece about um, the changing nature of uh, television storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also wrote a sort of recap or look back or thoughts on uh, the recently concluded fourth season of Web Therapy. Right, uh, and that's it. A lot, um, of, a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff to find on the website, and yeah. we don't have an official date for the BPs yet, but we're working on it. Uh, it'll probably be a few days before uh, before the Oscars, so All it'll right. probably be maybe around the 18th. We'll sneak it in there. All right, you can uh, find us at BattleshipRetention.com is what I just said. I'm repeating myself. You can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow me, David, on Twitter at ThePretension, and you can and must follow Tyler on Twitter at TylerPretension. Seriously, why, why can't people get that? I don't know. You're supposed to follow both of us. If you're following the pretension, I know that the icon or whatever, the avatar used to be the logo, and that was misleading because it made mm-hmm. it seem like it was, oh, the official. No, that's me. You got to follow both of us. You got to do it. Well, uh, if, if only I could just transfer. I I have more Twitter followers for my for at more lessons than I have more than one lesson listeners. So I'm going to assume I got that bump from BP followers. Right, right, right. Uh, if only I could just transfer it over, that would be great, but I right. can't. So if you follow me at more lessons, that's great. Good for you. Go ahead and follow me uh, at the pretension because I do oh, at Tyler. Pretension. Sorry, at Tyler pretension. Uh, See, this I is do, obviously the confusion. I do tweet different things for each right. account. Okay. So uh, that's the Twitter. Um, that's it, right? Is that it? Yep. Do we say anything else? All right. Well, uh, I almost said it. Thanks for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.